You're listening to the Doheny Podcast Network. The Doheny Eye Institute, working for all to see. Your host is Jody Becker. In this episode of the Doheny Podcast, I am very happy to welcome two outstanding guests. Jim Jorkowski is the Executive Director of NAVER, the National Alliance for Eye and Vision Research, the advocacy organization advancing the case for vision science research in Washington, D.C. and beyond. Jim is joined by Doheny Dr. Alex Wong, who, in addition to his world-renowned clinical practice and research, advocates in support of funding on Capitol Hill and via other channels. And I should mention here at the top that Doheny's late leader, Dr. Stephen Ryan, was a founder of NAVAR as he had the forethought to understand the importance of organized advocacy for vision science research. Jim and Alex, thank you both so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you, Jody. Let's start by talking about your job, Jim. Maybe you can give us a look at what do you do all day, and then we'll hear a little bit about your background. Thanks, Jody. Well, of course, much of my day is, is focused on Capitol Hill. And of course, it would be not only advocacy or increased funding for the National Institutes of Health overall, but primarily increased funding for the National Eye Institute. Many of my days are spent on Capitol Hill. I will be meeting with offices of members of Congress, uh, Democrats and Republicans, uh, champions and folks that aren't so supportive of the NIH, and of course, educating staffers about the importance of funding the National Institutes of Health and the NEI. This is the 50th anniversary year of the NEI being created by Congress as the dedicated institute within the NIH uh, for our nation's commitment to preserving vision and restoring vision. So it's a lot of educational outreach on the Hill. And are there other meetings around town in Washington? Yes. I work very closely with other research advocates because as we advocate for increased funding for the NIH, rising tides lift all boats. So that would mean more money for the various institutes and centers, the 27 institutes and centers uh, within the NIH. And they also work very closely with NAVER's membership, which includes the professional societies and ophthalmology and optometry, uh, private funding foundations in the vision space, patient and consumer groups, and industry members who make ophthalmic drugs and devices. And I came into Washington, D.C., and specifically advocacy through probably a very uh, unique and circuitous route. I'm actually a published biochemist by training who then went to business school here in Washington, D.C. at George Washington University. And many of my professors in the MBA program actually worked for government agencies or were attorneys that worked with trade associations and other organizations in Washington, D.C. that represent various industries, uh, professional practices, etc. And so my education was a combination of both science and business. And I went to the MBA program at night while working for a trade association that represented medical devices catheters, heart valves, etc. And I worked there for 21 years, having started an ophthalmic sector, which dealt with all types of devices that are used in the eye. 
after that position, I was recruited specifically to come to NAVER, which is the advocacy organization, and AVER, which is its affiliate educational foundation, to advocate for vision research funding, primarily funding by the federal government for vision research. And so I sort of have a holistic view of vision, having served at Avamed, dealing with uh, medical devices in the vision space. And now I'm sort of the front end of all that, which is the actual advocacy for the uh, basic medical research, which then ultimately gets translated and then uh, commercialized for ophthalmic products. So in your daily work, you're visiting with congressmen, you're talking with other officials in Washington, D.C. Dr. Wong, I know, is joining you on some of those visits. Is he sort of a closer? or how, Let's draw Dr. Wong into the conversation. How, how do you do your advocacy work there? Well, we, uh, as clinician scientists, serve as kind of the other hand to work together with people like Jim, as well as Naver and Aver, because, you know, we operationalize the the uh, the funding and the support and, and conduct the research. And so we have a very strong idea of, you know, like, these are the critical questions at hand, and uh, these are the tools that we need to basically, you know, uh, do the work. This type of innovation, like, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. And uh, unlike other industries where, you know, you immediately have a product that then you can sell and generate cash flow, research is very different. Research is really about the future, and so we really need day-to-day support, and that's why these funding sources are so important. And I'd like to add, Jody, that it is very important to speak on Capitol Hill in plain English. And I know that Dr. Wong has done a great job in speaking uh, at several professional events, and that's why I chose him, because he can describe his practice and research in plain English. And that's really important on the Hill. As Dr. Wong has said, we have to make the case for vision research funding. And in that plain English description of research, we also talk about the incidence of vision impairment and blindness and what that will cost this country. And so we weave in examples of really the burden that the United States will face over the next 20 to 30 years with an aging population, the impact on vision of various chronic diseases such as diabetes, and the disproportionate incidence of eye disease in fast-growing minority populations, including Hispanics and African Americans. In fact, by the year 2050, it is estimated that there will be an annual cost for blindness and vision impairment of $717 billion, that's billion with a B, uh, annually due to uh, the aging of the population, chronic diseases, and the increased incidence of particularly glaucoma and diabetic retinopathy in these minority populations. So obviously one of the points we make is spending now and funding the National Eye Institute funded research at at this time can certainly help to delay, prevent, mitigate those kinds of uh, cost burdens in the future. 
So, Jim, I want to circle back a little bit to the competition, even within the NIH, for the NIE to get the kind of funding that's needed. But I want to first revisit and ask Dr. Wong to finish off a little bit his thoughts on what kind of stories do you bring to Washington and what do you find is a compelling message when you're talking with congresspeople? In glaucoma, things can be made very clear if you draw the analogy that this is really a plumbing problem, right? And that, you know, it's about fluid flow leading to pressure that then damages a nerve, which leads to irreparable, or, uh, you know, a vis- irreversible vision loss. And so drawing that analogy in and then demonstrating how the research can for instance, turn the faucet down, how the research can replumb the house using different materials placed in different locations, uh, and, and, and how you know, uh, plumbing advances could, could theoretically lead to better fluid flow advances to treat high pressure. I mean, this is the, the real key here is to put it in a way that people can understand, formulate the questions in bite-sized bits that basically can be conceptualized, and then push them forward as you know, uh, areas that we have to tackle. So that gets the conversation going with Congress people who, of course, are not medical experts. But Jim, can you talk to us within the NIH? Where does the National Eye Institute stand and how do you compete for that money that Congress is doling out to these various agencies and institutes? That's a great question, Jody. In fact, there are 27 institutes and centers within the NIH and NEI was the 13th created. Obviously, Many of the uh, institutes at the NIH will have a complementary, privately funded Friends of Organization. So the Friends of the National Cancer Institute, the Friends of the National Institute on Aging. My organization, NAVER, essentially serves as the Friends of the National Eye Institute, although its title is National Alliance for Eye and Vision Research. And of course, All of these organizations, the privately funded friends organizations, are on Capitol Hill telling very compelling stories, like Dr. Wong just said, about the impact of any specific disease on the population, treatment, therapies, why it's important, incidence, cost, etc. So on any given day, a staffer might have a visit from the friends of the National Institute on Aging talking about the impact of Alzheimer's in the future. Then I might be in there talking about vision, and there might be somebody after us talking about uh, the impact of diabetes. Now, sometimes, obviously, our, our stories can be meshed with each other because we know, of course, the visual impact of diabetes in terms of diabetic eye disease. So oftentimes a staffer will comment to me that, oh my goodness, the diabetes people were just in here. And of course, you know, I can then relate to them the impact of diabetic eye disease on, on patients. So yes, there's quite a bit of competition for funding. And of course, there are dedicated what are called appropriations committees in Congress. Those are the members of Congress that sit on committees that will fund the um, annual budget for each of the uh, various agencies within the government. And uh, we will be up on the Hill trying to influence the funding for obviously the NEI. Um, Most recently, when the appropriators have been putting together their annual appropriations bills, they have generally been doing a percent increase across the board for most of the NIH institutes and centers, the 27 institutes and centers, that is, 
um, unless a an area has a specific program that it manages. For example, oftentimes the National Institute on Aging may get a slightly higher percentage increase because of some special funding for Alzheimer's research. Or the National Cancer Institute might get a higher percent funding because of its involvement in the Precision Medicine Initiative as it relates to cancer. The NEI actually had a slightly higher increase in funding last year because it also manages some funding that is part of a larger NIH brain initiative where NIH is studying the circuitry of the brain. And of course, uh, as we all know, the retina, the light-sensitive back of the eye, is an outcropping of the brain. So vision researchers have been very successful in getting funding through the brain initiative, uh, not only as studying the visual circuitry, but how the visual circuitry is a great example of the larger brain circuitry. And Dr. Wong, you are occasionally on the Hill, but you're more often in your lab. Can you talk a little bit about why those funding streams matters and how that money gets home to you at DEI and why that matters? Oh, the funding streams are critical. And, and you know, I would point out that, you know, um, the, the federal funding stream we often consider as basically like, like the core, the base. This is what you build around because, you know, the, uh, the level of funding is, is strong there. Uh, but there are other streams as well um, to more local levels, even to, for instance, at, at the state. I mean, it's not that there are state grants, but for instance, at UCLA and the University of California, uh, there are sources of support for research questions that the the universities deem important and then of course you know you'll have to bring it to the private level as well um, for in this case in particular Doheny Institute as an institute that supports research as part of its mission to other foundations like RPB research to prevent blindness Pfeiffer site even societies like AGS they support researchers as well and then lastly really to the grassroots level which are the people that we're trying to help really are grateful patients a lot of times they end up being the ones that recognize the challenges directly right in front of them and have the spirit and philanthropy to to give there in terms of you know where does the funding go and how we use this as with any entity you know the most important and the most expensive uh, commodity if you will is the people, right? Uh, the people are what make this happen. And, and really it's about finding support for the people to do the work. Now that, that occurs at a couple of different levels. Um, you know, at the researcher faculty level, uh, there was always, you know, um, pressure to, to conduct the business of taking care of patients and, 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 and to see patients to, you know, keep the departments and universities afloat. And, and, and research uh, obviously is done at a different time than that. And so this support really protects our time to ask the hard questions and attack the questions that can make a difference in the future from the federal level all the way to the private level to things like, you know, endowed chairs to really buy the a researcher's time. Then you're talking about the team at hand, you know, the, the technicians, the researchers in the lab, the students, and, and to support their effort to basically tackle some of these questions all the way to paying for the instrumentation, the materials and supplies, which as science has become more complex actually gets more expensive because we're able to ask better questions. And so, you know, at, at every level, support needs to be there. Even to, for instance, with a great finding, to publish a result, you actually have to 
pay to actually publish and get it into a journal. And so, uh, you know, there are a lot of steps that, you know, this money's needed. The the goals are clear. And so, you know, we're appreciative of the help from every level, from the federal all the way down to the individual person. Jim, if we could take a look ahead, can you tell us a little bit about what the future of the funding streams is looking like in the current economic climate? The Trump administration budget uh, proposed to cut the NIH significantly, upwards of 20% of its budget, to make some structural changes and to reduce the reimbursement to uh, academic institutions for their indirect costs, which are often for facilities and administration, basically having the electricity on, having the security guard, etc. Congress has not finalized fiscal year 2018 appropriations for the federal government quite yet, but we do know that in the House and Senate bills are congressional leaders, and these include Republican congressional leaders, rejected the Trump administration proposal and proposed to increase the NIH budget overall by $2 billion, that's billion with a B, uh, for FY 2018. That would be the third year of a $2 billion increase for NIH funding. And Senator Roy Blunt, who is chairman of the Senate Labor Health and Human Services and Education Appropriations Committee, which has this funding jurisdiction over the NIH, has stated that he wants a pattern of sustained and predictable increases for the NIH, such as this $2 billion a year, to really get NIH budget back on track. Because from about fiscal year 2003 to fiscal year 2016, the NIH lost almost a quarter of its purchasing power because of flat budgets, the sequester that was put into place to reduce the deficit, as well as biomedical inflation, which really eats away at the purchasing power of these federal agencies. So on the NIH overall side, the, the funding environment looks good with respect to the $2 billion increases. With respect to the NEI, even though there have been these $2 billion NIH increases, the NEI budget is only about 4% above where it was five fiscal years ago uh, as of FY 2017, and that's because there were three years in there where this sequester which was the deficit reduction program, reduced the NEI budget. So the NEI budget is growing again. If we see the kind of number that the Senate proposed for fiscal year 2018 for NEI, which is funding of $759 million, then the NEI budget would have an increase of 7% over where it was five fiscal years ago. And that's really a point we've been making on Capitol Hill. In fact, we have what I call a screaming red graphic because one of the things that really resonates with staffers is to see something right in front of their eyes that graphically shows incidents, cost, or impact on budget. And we present to staffers this red graphic that shows that NEI's budget has only increased this 4% through FY 2017 in the past five fiscal years, while underneath of that chart is another one that shows the erosion of the purchasing power because of biomedical inflation. 
for just the layperson and the patient. I mean, what are the ways for them to get involved and to really push this? I mean, contacting your congressperson comes to mind, but I mean, are there other ways for you know our audience and our patients to 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 make this a priority? Absolutely, Dr. Wong. In fact, um, on our website, www.iresearch.org, and of course that's iResearch, E-Y-E, Research, uh, we do have a contact Congress portal where you can send an uh, email letter to Congress. We have a sort of a form letter there, but we always encourage individuals to um, add their own personal stories. And I'm very pleased that we get so many folks that do use that portal and tell a story about their specific battle with, a, with an eye disease and the impact it's had on them. One of the things we encourage uh, folks to do is to really talk about the impact of vision impairment on their personal productivity, their independence, and their quality of life, because those are the kinds of things that I think do resonate with Congress. Um, other opportunities out there are also to attend town hall meetings when there is a member of Congress holding a town hall meeting. They usually do have some time in those town halls spent on health care issues. I just wanted to add, too, before we conclude that we bring, that is, Naver brings to Capitol Hill every year uh, what we call emerging vision scientists. So we've had a dedicated program for the last four years that brings these uh, early stage investigators, uh, often vision researchers that also do clinical work, to Capitol Hill. In fact, we've brought 81 emerging vision scientists through last September to the Hill. And what they tell is a very important story, not only about the breakthrough research they're working on, but also the impact of the federal budget, the NEI funding, on their future because many of these young scientists have to get grant funding to really move along in their career and to, you know, to be productive. Every voice is important in advocacy. It's the patient voice. It's the researcher voice. And so we try to encourage as much participation from all aspects as we can as we try to make the case for federally funded vision research. Thank you both so much for this conversation, which has clearly drawn the impact from the billions of dollars to the individuals, patients, and researchers alike. I appreciate it. Jim Jorkowski, Executive Director of NAVAR, the National Alliance for Eye and Vision Research, and Doheny Dr. Alex Wong. Thanks very much for joining me. Thank you, Jody. Thank you, Jody. The Doheny Eye Institute, at the forefront in eradicating eye disease for nearly 70 years, is dedicated to providing state-of-the-art clinical services and supporting leading researchers in the quest for treatments that stabilize and improve the precious sense of sight. Doheny is now affiliated with UCLA Stein Eye Institute. For more information about our doctors and their innovative work in the quest for better vision, visit our website, doheny.org.